When your absolutes are absolutely absolute, the sun always shines gloriously, especially through the dark and ominous clouds. Dear visitor, have you been born again just like Jesus said? You are not here by happenstance. Believe me, you are not. Today you will make a decision. I am born again not because of keen analytic skills, no, not even close. I am born again because the Spirit of God convicted and drew me unto the cross of Calvary, where the beautiful blood of Jesus Christ reconciles the lost sons and daughters of Adam unto God. My life that appeared full and together was empty of cleanness, empty of purpose, and empty of the power to do anything about it. The Holy Ghost convicted me of my deep and dark sinful heart and its deeds. I fell upon my face, believing on Jesus Christ, implored God to forgive, cleanse, and deliver me from my sinful life. That was a demonstration of spirit-analytical power that is sourced in high, holy, and heavenly places and assuredly reigns supreme over all the earth's wisest ruminations. Surely God's Word will satisfy all the brain's analytic demands, but you must know that salvation only comes on one's knees, and that alone produces Holy Ghost certification. Would you accept Jesus Christ as the authority on how to get to heaven? Christ shows the way in John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again means exactly what it says, born a second time, this time of the Spirit of God. At this place, the born again become the sons and daughters of God. Here, everything will change for you. In just a moment, I will invite you to follow me in a simple prompt. And if you follow from your heart, you will instantly become a new creature. Today, all your sin and its shame will be washed away by Christ's cleansing blood. Today, all of Satan's bondages in your life will be broken. All. Today you will participate in the greatest miracle a man can know. You are in the valley of decision right now. Today your soul is in your own hands. Here is the prompt I promised. Come with me right now. Here it is. Click on the further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Are you still here? Click now. Now for today's subject. God said, John 10, verse 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. God said, Romans chapter 1, verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. God said, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 8 through 12, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause... God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Man said, 
I follow the science and not some archaic book written by mere men. The Bible has no credibility. Everybody knows that. Science, that's all I need. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 1085, that will once again certify the marvelous supernatural inerrancy of God's holy Bible. All of these fabulous features are archived here in text and streaming audio for the edification of the blood and to be used as bait for the fishers of men. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for visiting today. May the love of God embrace you, and may His joy and peace possess your soul. A deadly delusion is afoot. The spirit of delusion began in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, where Satan challenged God's word. Now this delusion is accelerating at the speed of darkness, and it will not relent. At the same time, God's word walkers, the born again, are standing up around this earth to engage the enemy. The Holy Ghost's pace is accelerating at the speed of light, with signs following. The latter rain is getting ready to sweep this globe, and may have already begun in spots for one last glorious harvest of souls. It will move in tandem with the ever-so-deadly seven-year Great Tribulation period. Jesus speaks of it in Matthew twenty-four twenty-one, For then shall be Great Tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. The clash between light and darkness is and will be so clearly obvious to those who have eyes to see. The time of the end of all time, as this world knows it, is knocking. Second Thessalonians speaks of a spirit of strong delusion that will grip the masses, and it is here. In this short series, it will be ever so clear. Here's a quick review of foundational information laid down in Part 1 of the God Said, Man Said feature, 21 Signs of Doomsday, Update 55, Names of Blasphemy. These are the last days, and the spirit of the Antichrist is deep at work. First John, penned by the Apostle John, introduces to the church the word Antichrist, defining it in chapter 2, verse 22, and chapter 4, verse 3. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Any person, any organization, any spirit that denies that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is an Antichrist. Second John chapter 1, verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Not only is Jesus the Christ, the Savior of all who will call upon his name and forsake sin, but an official name for this Christ is declared in Revelation 19:13, and his name is called the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. This is the Jesus Christ that came in the flesh. The redeemed of God are called the bride of Christ and are en route to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bride is required to be a chaste virgin. The groom's name is the Word of God. 
and any dalliance with the words or doctrines of men and of devils is harlotry, a term given to an unfaithful woman. Remember, the redeemed are the bride. In the end of days, the world's antichrist system will be destroyed. Revelation 17, 3 through 5. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. This mother of harlots is full of names of blasphemy, and those names include all confessions of the mouth that deny Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This includes all antichrist religious systems, progressive political diatribe, atheistic uh, communism, pseudoscience, and especially the theory of evolution, which possesses the world's academic communities. All these and more are names of blasphemy, They are Antichrist. Years ago, when I was a young lad, I sat in a meeting and heard a very old man's testimony of falling into witchcraft as a young man. He was an Italian immigrant to the United States, full of aspirations of power and wealth, and purchased a book on the occult. The man read, studied, and followed the instructions given in the occult book for selling one's soul to Satan for power and wealth, up to and including an animal blood sacrifice. However, nothing appeared to happen, at least not immediately. Several months later, as this aspiring disciple of Satan lay in his bed, the devil entered his room and consummated the deal, telling the young man of the dark gift he, Satan, would bestow upon him. Satan promised power and wealth, but told the man to remember that he was forbidden to do anything good with the money. The young man could lavish all of the pleasures of life upon himself, but nothing good, such as feeding the hungry or supporting orphans and widows, it was forbidden. This man could do nothing good. Remember, Satan's M.O. is to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10.10. Satan can no more do good than the darkness can become the light. One of the devil's greatest weapons against the unsuspecting is the doctrine of evolution, which is an antichrist theory and a deadly blasphemy. Charles Darwin's writings popularized this theory in the mid to late 1800s. It soon took global root and now dominates the mainstream. But just like all of Satan's gifts, it can do nothing good. Satan forbids it. Chartered engineer and graduate of Loughborough University, Dominic Statham, addresses serious problems with the evolutionary hypothesis in his book, Evolution, Good Science. Under the chapter heading, Is Belief in Evolution Necessary for Scientific Progress? The following is found. Philip Skell, formerly professor of chemistry at Pennsylvania State University, commented, I recently asked more than 70 eminent researchers if they could have done their work differently if they had thought Darwin's theory was wrong. The responses were all the same, no. I also examined the outstanding uh, bio-discoveries of the last century, the discovery of the double helix, the characterization of the ribosome, the mapping of genomes, 
Research on medications and uh, drug reactions, improvements in food production and sanitation, the development of all new surgeries and others. I even quarried biologists working in areas where one would expect the Darwinian paradigm to have most benefited research, such as the emergence of resistance to antibiotics and pesticides. Years everywhere, I found that Darwin's theory had provided no discernible guidance, but was brought in after the breakthrough as an interesting narrative gloss. Similarly, Dr. Mark Kirshner, founding chair of the Department of Systems Biology at Harvard Medical School, remarked, In fact, over the last 100 years, almost all of biology has proceeded independent of evolution except evolutionary biology itself. Molecular biology, biochemistry, physiology have not taken evolution into account at all. Some have even suggested that belief in evolution has impeded scientific progress. Herbert Nilsson, who was professor of botany and director of the Swedish Botanical Institute of Lund University, argued, The final result of all my researches and discussions is that the theory of evolution should be discarded in its entirety because it always leads to extreme contradictions and confusing consequences when tested against the empirical results of research. Moreover, my next conclusion is that, far from being a benign, natural philosophical school of thought, the theory of evolution is a severe obstacle for biological research. As many examples show, it actually prevents the drawing of logical conclusions from even one set of experimental material because everything must be bent to fit this speculative theory, and exact biology cannot develop. According to Professor Louis Bonor, former president of the Biological Society of Strasbourg and director of the Strasbourg Zoological Museum, this theory has helped nothing in the progress of science. It is useless. According to Professor De Beer, Haeckel's recapitulation theory had lamentable effects on biological process, and according to Professor Bletschmidt, it set back real scientific embryology a hundred years. A good example of where evolutionary thinking has impeded medical progress is the belief in vestigial organs. The functions of these were not understood for years because they were assumed to be vestigial and a byproduct of our evolutionary history. In the case of the vestigial thymus, it led to the thymuses of children being subjected to radiotherapy with tragic results. For many years, the tonsils were understood to be vestigial and were often removed in childhood, but it is now known that these are part of the immune system. Removing the tonsils results in a fourfold increase in the likelihood of developing Hodgkin's disease, for example. Similarly, the belief in junk DNA has delayed progress in understanding genetics. Surely, if molecules demand evolution were true, we would continually observe in nature a creative process of immense power, one that would have an enormous impact upon research and development in chemistry, biology, medicine, and agriculture. Instead, in real practical science, it appears to be irrelevant. End of quote. Evolution can produce no good thing. It is forbidden, but the list of its bad and deadly fruits are long indeed. The following two paragraphs are from the God Said, Man Said feature, Evolutionist Hear Footprints. 
Today's God of academia is evolution, which is the spirit of blasphemy, designed by Satan to replace God. Satan has succeeded in the hearts of millions. The theory of evolution has given top billing in academic literature and textbooks and mainstream media, in the entertainment industry and in politics, and to the total exclusion of its only real opponent, the God of the Bible and his Christ. Evolution's champions speak often and speak with a bold authority that they do not own. When their positions are challenged, they readily collapse. None of their positions hold under critical scrutiny simply because these positions are not true. Evolution, the theory of blasphemy, is a forbidden fruit hanging from the tree to make one wise. It is an abomination of deep proportions. Its godly, hedonistic spirit is the promoter of gross perversion of all kinds, including the world's number one promoter of racism and white supremacy. Those that bowed at evolution's throne would include Karl Marx, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, and the mother of death herself, Margaret Sanger, along with her abortion revolution designed to control the proliferation of the undesirable people. How did the cancel culture miss it? Where are all the indignant uh, protesters? End of quote. Free speech is banned or censored on this earth, including within the United States. Various techniques are used, including political, legal, and social. Satan knows that everything is made out of words, including himself. And he, as the God, little G-O-D of this earth, must control the global dialogue. In the U.S., the devil's blacklisting techniques abound. If you want to rise to fame and fortune, or if you desire various foundation or government grants, you had better hide your Jesus, assuming you have one, and any politically conservative leanings. People are shocked when they first discover that God said man said has been banned from advertising by a plethora of individual media companies and networks around the earth, in print and radio specifically, and heavily censored on digital media. If you want to hear the highly offensive advertising content that God God said man said and banned, listen to the Sydney, Australia radio interview. This issue of banning or censoring content is nothing new. God said man said has been dealing with this for over 20 years since launching digitally and beginning aggressive marketing efforts. Satan must control the dialogue. The banning and censorship of scientists who offer scientifically sound biblical positions by the world's media combine, which covers textbooks, science publications, news media, the entertainment industry, and more, it is a virtual blackout. One might think that the silencing of Christian voices in this media combine allows a particular picture to be painted. Everyone in the scientific community is on board except for that small group of stalwart and ignorant fundamentalists, those loonies over there. However, that picture isn't an accurate representation of reality. I have selected a handful of quotes out of the hundreds and hundreds available, made by scientists of renown from evolution's own Darwinian ranks that tell a very different story. These are forbidden words, but here they are. The quotes are taken from chartered engineer Dominic Statham's book, Evolution, Good Science? David Kitts, who was a professor of paleontology at the University of Oklahoma comments, Despite the bright promise that paleontology provides a means of seeing evolution, 
It has presented some nasty difficulties for evolutionists, the most notorious of which is the presence of gaps in the fossil record. Evolution requires uh, intermediate forms between the species, and paleontology does not provide them. Professor David Ropp, formerly curator of Field Museum of Natural History Chicago, is similarly candid. Instead of finding gradual unfolding of life, what geologists of Darwin's time and geologists of the present day actually find is a highly uneven or jerky record. That is, species appear in the sequence very suddenly, show little or no change during their existence in the record, then abruptly go out of the record. And it is not always clear, in fact, it is rarely clear, that the descendants were actually better adapted than their predecessors. In other words, biological improvement is hard to find. Dr. Colin Patterson, FRS, who was the senior paleontologist of the British Museum of Natural History, replying to the question as to why he had not included any pictures of transitional forms in his book, Evolution. This is what he wrote. If I knew of any fossil or living, I would certainly have included them. You suggest that an artist should be used to visualize such transformations, but where would he get the information from? I could not honestly provide it, and if, it were, and if I were to leave it to artistic license, would that not mislead the reader? I wrote the text of my book four years ago. If I were to write it now, I think the book would be rather different. Gradualism is a concept I believe in, not just because of Darwin's authority, but because my understanding of genetics seems to demand it. Yet, Gould and American Museum people are hard to contradict when they say there are no transitional fossils. As a paleontologist myself, I, have much, I am much occupied with the philosophical problems of identifying ancestral forms in the fossil record. You say that I should at least show a photo of the fossil from which each type of organism was derived? I will lay it on the line. There is not one such fossil for which one could make a watertight argument. Indeed, not only are fossil intermediates of such structures not found, it is in some cases even difficult to imagine what they might have looked like. Professor Stephen J. Gould comments, the absence of fossil evidence for intermediary stages between major transitions in organic design, indeed, our inability even to our imagination to construct a functional intermediary in many cases, has been a persistent and nagging problem for gradualistic accounts of evolution. Similarly, Professors David Ropp and Stephen Stanley argue, the origins of most higher categories are shrouded in mystery. Commonly, new higher categories appear abruptly in the fossil record without evidence of transitional ancestral forms. Speaking of fossils found in the Cambrian rocks, which supposedly document the first appearance of the major groups of organisms living today, the paleontologist Professor Juan Clarkson states, Transitional or linking forms are absent. The geological record gives no indication of such relationships. But what the fossil record does give is many examples of the instantaneous origin of new structural plans. Also speaking of the Cambrian fossils, Oxford University zoologist Professor Richard Dawkins openly admits it is as though they were just planted there without any evolutionary history. Arguments to the effect that the evolutionary links between the fossils have simply 
not been found have become progressively less tenable over the years as armies of paleontologists have searched and searched for them in vain. According to Professor Raup, Darwin's general solution to the incompatibility of the fossil evidence and his theory was to say that the fossil record is very as a very incomplete one. Well, we are now about 120 years after Darwin, and the knowledge of the fossil record has been greatly expanded, ironically. We have even fewer examples of evolutionary transition than we had in Darwin's time. By this I mean that some of the classic cases of Darwinian change in the fossil record, such as the evolution of the horse in North America, have had to be discarded or modified as a result of more detailed information. Although rarely publicized, serious problems with neo-Darwinian theory have been known for many years. In 1970, the biochemist and Nobel Prize winner Ernst Chain FRS said of this that it is a hypothesis based on no evidence and irreconcilable with the facts. Speaking of the idea that genes that specify functional proteins could have arisen through accident or by trial and error, he commented, The probability for such an event to have occurred is just too small to be seriously considered. In 1982, Professors Hoyle and Wickramsinghe produced what they described as a simple and decisive disproof of the Nero-Darwinian theory. According to the information scientist Warner Gitt, who was a professor and director of Federal Institute of Physics and Technology, Brunswick, Germany, there is no known law of nature, no known process, and no sequence of events which can cause information to originate by itself in matter. Moreover, not only are the information-generating processes that are required for molecules to man evolution not observed in nature, some leading mathematicians have even speculated that one day there may be a formal proof that they will never be found. And what about the information storage system of DNA? The capabilities of modern computer systems pale into significance compared with this. The amount of information that could be stored and the amount of DNA with the same volume as a pinhead of 2 millimeter diameter would, if printed in a stack of paperback books piled on top of one another, reach a height of 500 times the distance of the moon from the Earth. The moon is 238,900 miles from the Earth, making the hypothetical stack of books 119,450,000 miles high. The origin of the genetic code is again a most difficult problem for evolutionists. Sir Carl Popper, Popper excuse me, who has been described as incomparably the greatest philosopher of science that has ever been, commented. What makes the origin of life and of the genetic code a disturbing riddle is this. The genetic code is without any biological function, unless it is translated, that is, unless it leads to the synthesis of the proteins whose structure is laid down by the code. But the machinery, by which the cell, at least the non-primitive cell, which is the only one we know, translate the code, consists of at least 50 macromolecular components which are themselves coded in the DNA. Thus, the code cannot be translated except by using certain products of its translation. This constitutes a baffling circle, a really vicious circle, it seems, for any attempt to form a model or theory of the genesis of the genetic code. 
Thus, we may be faced with the possibility that the origin of life, like the origin of the universe, becomes an impenetrable barrier to science and a residue to all attempts to reduce biology to chemistry and physics. End of quote. Geologist and marine scientist Dr. Gallup, Roger Gallup, authored the book Evolution, The Greatest Deception in Modern History. Some excerpts follow. In fact, evolution became, in a sense, a scientific religion. Almost all scientists have accepted it, and many are prepared to bend their observations to fit with it. To my mind, the theory does not stand up at all. If living matter is not then caused by the interplay of atoms, natural forces, and radiation, how has it come into being? I think, however, that we must go further. That this and, and and go further than this, excuse me, and admit that the only acceptable explanation is creation. H. S. Lipson, a physicist, looks at evolution in the Physics Bulletin. Often a cold shudder has run through me, and I have asked myself whether I may have not devoted myself to a fantasy. Charles Darwin, The Life and Letters of Charles Darwin, eighteen eighty seven. If they eventually make a computer as small as a cell with a huge information storage capacity like DNA, and I scoff and claim, you didn't do that, it just came about by accident, they would rightly consider me a fool. Thomas F. Hines, How Life Began, 2002. Question is, can you tell me anything you know about evolution, any one thing, any one thing that is true? I tried that question on the geology staff at the Field Museum of Natural History, and the only answer I got was silence. I tried it on the members of the Evolutionary Morphology Seminar in the University of Chicago, a very prestigious body of evolutionists, and all I got there was silence for a long time, and eventually one person said, I do know one thing. It ought not to be taught in high school. Dr. Colin Patterson Senior Paleontologist, British Museum of Natural History, London, in his keynote address at the American Museum of Natural History, New York City, November 5, 1981, end quote. Once again from Evolution Good Science, Professor Agar, for example, admitted, It must be significant that nearly all the evolutionary stories I learned about as a student have now been debunked. Similarly, William Provine, professor of biological sciences at Cornell University, wrote, Most of what I learned in the field of evolutionary biology in graduate school in 1964 to 1968 is either wrong or has significantly changed. The biophysicist Dr. Lee Spetner was a fellow of Johns Hopkins University who taught information and communication theory and specialized in information and DNA. Having studied the theory of evolution for over 30 years, he concluded, Of all the mutations studied since genetics became a science, not a single one has been found that adds a little information. Here, Dr. Spetner was referring to the fact that all the mutations he had studied had led to genes becoming less specific in their function. Continued degeneration of gene specificity would lead to the death of organisms, not their evolutionary improvement. Significantly, the ardent evolutionist and former Harvard University professor of biology, Richard Lewontin, states, We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, 
in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to a material causes to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is an absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door, end the quote. Does any of this information resemble anything you've heard out of the devil's media combine? Uh, no. Instead, out of their mouths is a flood of waters in which to drown. They cannot allow the truth to surface. It is forbidden. Finally, Statham quotes Michael Behe, a professor of biochemistry at Lehigh University in Pennsylvania. Molecular biology is not based on scientific authority. There is no publication in the scientific literature and prestigious journals, specialty journals or books that describes how molecular evolution of any real complex biochemical system either did occur or even might have occurred. There are assertions that such evolution occurred, but absolutely none are supported by pertinent experiments or calculations. Since no one knows molecular evolution by direct experience, and since there is no authority on which to base claims of knowledge, it can truly be said that the assertion of Darwinian molecular evolution is merely bluster. End quote. We'll close part two with the following excerpts from part one. No moral anchor remains. You are simply the result of a fortuitous big bang out of nothing. You are an accident with no purpose other than satisfying carnal desires. When you are dead, that's all there is. There is no judgment, no accountability, no God. You are an animal, the crowning jewel in the evolutionary chain. The God of the Bible and his morality is gone. In the minds of the lost, Charles Darwin has made it all irrelevant. The door is wide open for Satan to enter with all manner of perversion, free love, homosexuality, pedophilia, bestiality, why not, you're just a beast, LGBTQ123, mass extinction of undesirables, and self-indulgences of all forms. Second Thessalonians speaks of the end of days and depicts a spirit that will possess the minds of men, a deep spirit of Antichrist, a spirit of blasphemy, Second Thessalonians two ten and twelve ten through twelve, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved, and for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they shall believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. A spirit of strong delusion will possess the hearts of the self-proclaimed wisest amongst us. They will believe and teach that our father was a monkey. Our first cousin was a banana. Oh, stop. Correction. I apologize. It's now known that our first cousin is a mushroom, relegating the banana to second cousin status. Our family tree is wild. They will believe and teach that life formed out of non-life, something that Louis Pasteur proved impossible long ago. 
They will believe and teach that the dinosaur is still amongst us, just in the backyard, feeding at your hummingbird contraption. They will believe and teach that the water buffalo hung around the water so much that it just evolved into the whale. A spirit of strong delusion is here and rules the hearts of the damned. Evolution is the devil's brew, and it can do no good thing. It is forbidden. Doomsday approaches quickly. The end of times is knock, knock, knocking at the door. If you ever ran the race, it is time to run it now. Click on the further with Jesus for instructions. End of quote. God said, John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. God said, Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. God said, Second Thessalonians 2, 8 through 12. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Man said, I follow the science and not some archaic book written by mere men. The Bible has no credibility. Everybody knows that. Science, that's all I need. Now you have the record.